Welcome to the Exploring Revelation podcast. We got another episode today. I'm excited, excited about that. I hope that what you've heard so far has prompted you to uh, want to keep listening, but also just pique your interest a little bit into some of these things. So if you hear something uh, in the in the episode in the in the study that you would want to go and, and research that a little bit on your own, of course, I, I want you to keep listening. Uh, but at the same time, we, I need to realize that each podcast episode is like opening a, a door to some to new research and discovery on some level. E- even uh, on our podcast here, just doing one episode, something's going to come up in the episode that's going to prompt uh, another one. So as we get into this episode, this, this encouragement uh, to do more research, there, there also comes a, a little bit of caution here. Uh, and hold tight for a, a second there. So we have been talking about preliminary issues that are important before we get into the text itself of the book of Revelation. I, I've actually said last time that there were a, a couple of issues that we needed to cover uh, here. Uh, millennial views, that was one of the, the issues which we did last week. We just kind of touched the surface of that. And then this week we're going to talk about one's interpretive framework or the interpretive approach that one follows when they study the book of Revelation. Now, if you remember, I said last week that much of what we see today concerning millennial views comes from uh, really a a dispensational premillennial perspective. So much in fact that one might even be unaware of other uh, millennial perspectives that are out there of, you know, that, and I'm just talking about people that take the Bible seriously and see as authoritative, authoritative without error, sufficient for faith and and practice. Um, There there are people that that hold to other views, even though we might not realize it. Now, just as there is a a bit of caution here when it comes to, to millennial views, there is also when it comes to the interpretive framework that one follows, because a great majority of evangelical Christians today have not been exposed to the other approaches, but really just follow one and don't even realize that's what they're doing. I I will add that following one interpretive approach without knowing that there are others would be a little bit dangerous, I I would guess that there are some listening here that are a bit lost at this point. Um, You're saying something like, what are interpretive approaches? Uh, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. I'm getting there. I I just want to make the point that there is one, which we call futurism, that is, is really a way to understand the book that is really the only way to understand the book that most people have been exposed to. And you can kind of figure out why without even understanding anything about interpretive approaches so far. And that is because it goes hand in hand with the premillennial dispensational view. In fact, we can say that all dispensationalists are futurists, but not all futurists are dispensationalists. Confusing? Well, let's just take a few minutes and start looking at some of these uh, interpretive approaches that people have when they come to the book of Revelation. Now, 
traditionally there are four different uh, approaches that have governed the understanding of the book of revelation and i and i should point out that they're pretty broad categories each is a, a different school of thought so to speak and there's a, a wide range of those within those different methods uh, for instance you'll see both liberal and conservative scholars advocating for each approach if things aren't complicated enough some that come to the the book piece these different approaches together somewhat and come up with uh, a variation a, a patchwork quilt so to speak having said that there are basically four approaches the the historicist approach the idealist approach the preterist approach and then uh what we call the futurist approach so we, we said that the futurist is most the most familiar to you. That's going to ring. This is probably going to strike some chords with you. So we're going to save that for last here, and we're going to go through the other one. So let's start with the historicist approach. Sometimes it's called the continuous historical approach. And I think that's helpful because it sees the, the prophetic material in the book of Revelation as providing us a panoramic picture of history from the time of that John wrote all the way to the second coming. So the idea here is that God revealed what would happen in the church age in the book of Revelation through symbolic visions. So the breaking of the seals in Revelation 6 and 7, for instance, could be the, the barbarian invasion that sacked the sacked Western Roman Empire. So that the judgment portions of the book often refer to national wars or revolutions. And, and some would even say that they refer to religious movements like the beast of revelation is the, the papacy, for instance. Here's the thing with the historicist approach. It isn't really in vogue today. Uh, from what I understand, modern commentaries that would present this approach today don't exist. So there's the question, why do we even bring it up? Well, that's because there are a number from the, the past that have taken this understanding and their works are still around and their works still influence a lot of people. So you, you can see how some of this approach could be mixed into uh, the works of others. So who took this view? Well, John Wycliffe, John Knox, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Eric Zwingli, uh, John Wesley, Spurgeon, Matthew Henry. I mean, you, you know the, those names. I see a couple problems with this interpretive approach, though, and it, it sees the, the book of Revelation as a, a panoramic uh, of church history. Uh, first of all, I guess we could say there's, you know, point to a strength here, and that is that the, the book of Revelation is is valuable to see where you're at in in all of history but why isn't in vogue today why don't people think uh highly of this view and are writing from this view well first of all it seems to miss the the point that john wrote the book of revelation to people who were who were under fire under under siege this in, in this view john would be detailing events that would mean nothing to the church that was living at the time that John was writing. You know, adding on to that, Moses Stewart, a, a guy said that uh, historicists put the reader of Revelation afloat upon a boundless ocean of conjecture 
and fantasy without a rudder or a compass. In other words, uh, he's saying that that you kind of have to just guess. I mean, you're just guessing what these events mean and you do it with the blessing of hindsight. And, you know, there's, there's no way that people living at the time, even if they, they understood that, that the book of revelation was a, a panoramic of, of history that they would be able to say, Oh, and, uh, in, in some time in the, in the future, uh, they're going to discover um, America or they're going to, there's going to be a war between these two groups. Uh, it just, there's, there's no way. So next we'll look at what we call the idealist or the, the spiritual interpretive approach. Some have called this the, the timeless symbolic approach. The appeal of this view is that it isn't concerned with concrete historical events and thus it applies to Christians in every age. So where the historicist approach wouldn't apply to, to Christians in a lot of ages, uh, this applies to Christians in every age. In other words, John wasn't painting any kind of concrete or objective historical portrait at all, but what he was doing is providing the reader in any age with a series of redemptive truths that they would always find significant. Like the the triumph of good over evil, Jesus over the devil. Uh, in this view, there there would be portions that would highlight the the general principle that that martyrs are vindicated in the in the in in the end. Uh, the book would would point out that that God is is sovereign and that is being played out in in history. So there are these themes that are always true and a source of comfort and strength uh, to those who who come to the book. And we should say that this view is, is often associated with theological liberalism. And even though that that's true, and, and there are some liberals that on that end that would take this view, it should be pointed out that nothing here suggests that one cannot adopt this view and believe in a high view in the inspiration of Scripture. Right? These would say that, that John wrote down the visions just as he received them from the Holy Spirit that guided the process. And what we have is what God wanted him to, to say uh, without mistake. So this is God's word, no question. These would just say that this book is meant to be understood spiritually to edify and build up believers in any age that are going through trial. I, I think the idealist approach is interesting because although few people would say that they adhere to it, you often see in many evangelical writings that they employ the idealist approach in specific comments. Uh, I, I think you, you would see why this could be. One of the strengths of this view is it is always relevant. It always makes good application uh, and it understands those texts that way at times because we want to give the, the reader something that applies to them. In, in the in the you can see how those in the, well, we'll get into the, the preterist and the futurist approach, but you would see how they at times would, would take this timeless truths uh, principle and, and put it into their own because they want it to apply to people at any time. So the, the next approach then is, is what we call the, the preterist approach. Basically, this approach sees the, the great majority of prophecies in Revelation 4 through 22 as being issues and events that find their origin in, in John's day. 
the word preterism comes from the Latin meaning gone by or past. So what they would argue is that much of the book of Revelation finds its fulfillment in the past. In other words, well, it was future to John, but not long after the time of writing that these things came to pass. This view sees the book of Revelation as being written before uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, and much of what is written refers to the events surrounding the destruction of that city, of the temple. For instance, we've, we've come back to the, the first verse of the book of Revelation here, and we're told that these events must shortly take place. Preterism makes sense of those time indicator references that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. But on the flip side, it's very much tied to an early date of the book of Revelation. So if, if one is convinced of a, a later date, then it would be very difficult to say that these events would shortly take place unless they adopted a, another approach in those instances. Preterism is a, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, a lot of a lot of these approaches maybe are, but there, there are guys like Ed Stevens or John Noah that we mentioned in a, a previous podcast that like the label preterist. Some would clarify their position and say that they're full preterist, uh, that they believe in full preterism, but they do not do that all the time because they, they like the term preterism. And they would just say, well, preterism means full preterism. Those who are critical of full preterism would label that position as hyperpreterism. Uh, hyper being a, a negative label there, meaning they, they've gone too far through the extreme. And they're going too far by saying that the second coming falls under the category of fat past fulfillment. I, I just want to bring this up because say you go and, and Google preterism, like we talked about at the beginning, and you, you kind of do a little more study here and you want to understand what that does, and you end up at preterist.org, which is um, basically a hyper-preterist website, which is clearly seen in their statement of faith when it says, we believe scripture teaches Christ would come back again in the first century generation. Well, some of his original disciples were still alive to raise the dead, change the living, and catch uh, both groups together in the heavenly presence of Christ. So this, this emergence of this small but fairly vocal group has led some to believe that all preterists see Christ's return as having taken place. Uh, that's simply not the case. The fact is most who fall underneath the preterist interpretive framework here would not fall under the, the full or hyper-preterist hyper category. In fact, they're outside of, of orthodoxy. So we're saying that that these, that most people that take this interpretive framework that label themselves as a, a preterist uh, are what Keith Matheson and Kenneth Gentry and, and others have defined themselves as partial preterists, kind of to, to, to set themselves apart from the full preterist. But they insist that the term preterist refers to a, a partial preterist. Uh, so, when we use the term preterist or the preterist interpretive approach, um, we're really speaking of, of partial preterism, uh, a preterism that, that doesn't go too far, that, that sees most of, of these things as referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and, and those things, but certainly not going so far as to say that Christ has already come back. Now, 
we said that the futurist approach or the interpretive method that we called futurism was the most popular today. That hasn't always been the case. There's there's quite a debate, though, as to whether the very early premillennialists were futurists or not. I, I would say they're probably not, most likely, since they believed that they were living in the end days. And looking back on this, we would say that they most likely would have held to a preterist or histor- historicist framework back then. Uh, in, in any case, in the early 1900s, we started seeing evangelicals running to the futurist approach because of the rise of dispensationalism. We talked a little bit about dispensationalism last time, although uh, it will come up uh, again and again. We're probably going to do an entire podcast or a, a couple different ones maybe at some point on that. But just to make things simple, it's the it's the left behind rapture view. That's overly simplistic, I know, but that's kind of the the that's kind of the view that the futurist then sees the prophecies starting in Revelation four is pertaining to something very much future to John's time. So future in the fact that most of these things are future to us in that it describes the events surrounding the the consummation of all things. So the future seven-year tribulation, the rapture, the rise of the Antichrist, the the judgments, the, the great throne judgment, the mark of the beast, right? All of these things that you're accustomed to hearing about when people are referring to the book of Revelation are really events that are far future to, to us or short future to us, however you want to do it, but they're future to us. So they get the label uh, futurism, futurist. So names that you might know that fall into this category, uh, Tim LaHaye, John Nelson Darby, C.I. Schofield, uh, popular Schofield study Bible uh, back in the day, Charles Ryrie, that's another study Bible that a lot of people have, um, John Walverd, uh, Hal Lindsey, George Ladd is a futurist, he's not a dispensationalist, uh, the rest of them are dispensational. So, you know, no, for instance, when you're, when you've got a Ryrie study Bible, uh, and you're looking at the, the notes in the Ryrie Study Bible, and you're talking about the, the book of Revelation. He's approaching it from this futurist perspective. Uh, one of the, the strengths of the futurist perspective that you will hear is that the futurist, uh, from the futurist, is that they have the most literal understanding of the book of Revelation. The, the visions are seen as literal, if, they're, if possible, for instance. They would say that... For one to take the Bible seriously, there must be a literal fulfillment of, of, of prophecies. And this is really the only approach that can do that because they are speaking of events that hasn't happened yet. For instance, uh, when the Bible speaks of the, the mark of the, the beast, right? For them, it, it, it's easy to say it's a real mark on one's forehead or their right hand. When two prophets die in Jerusalem and are raised in three and a half days and translated into heaven, these events are are seen as as literal because they they haven't happened yet. There's there's no way to to go back and and say well that was meaning something else. One writer says that his desires to understand Revelation literally may be the leading factor in favoring the futurist approach. What is interesting, though, is that much of 
what dispensationalists appeal to in the book of Revelation doesn't really come from a literal interpretation that is hailed by the masses. Yes, when the Bible speaks of the seven years, they believe that the seven years is literal. But they believe that the Antichrist violates a, a treaty in the middle of the seven-year tribulation and sets up an image of himself in the temple. That, that This temple that had been rebuilt, right? By, by the way, because it was destroyed in 70 and hasn't been rebuilt yet. So all of that stuff doesn't really come from a literal interpretation, though. Uh, what constitutes a, a literal interpretation is a fair question, though. Because they would say, well, wait a minute, it, it, is, it is literal. So this question, what constitutes a, a literal interpretation, is a fair question, not only for the futurists, but for every approach that we've mentioned. Even though all the approaches are, are very different, they would all say that they're dealing with the Bible literally, in that they are interpreting it the way that it was meant to be interpreted. Uh, even though futurism is widely accepted it's a popular framework for understanding the book of revelation we should point out a couple of things here that, that might give us a reason to back up and take a look at the other approaches a little bit first we said at the onset of our study that however we understand the book of revelation there must be relevance for those who lived at the time in which it was written and it seems that the futurist understanding removes that relevance almost altogether We've really highlighted the, the nearness passages, the time frame indicator passages, and said that however we understand the book of Revelation, we must also make sense of those statements. Futurism all but seems to ignore those passages. I, I don't know if I've tipped my hand a little bit so far on, on where I land in all of this or not, or where I don't land. Uh, I, I, did, I haven't really tried to at this point, but... I, I would guess that some of you may have kind of figured out or have a guess where I, I land on this. I, I do think that when we go through the text, when, when, when someone starts going through the text of Revelation, it, it is important to be honest about the interpretive framework that you're following. Um, if you're a, a futurist, you ought to be honest about that. An idealist ought to be honest about that and so on and so forth. But Explain, you know, I think when we explain the perspective that we're using to interpret the text, it's really important. And I'll, I'll do that before we, we get to the text. But for now, I want to do a few more podcasts first. Um, I, I will tell you the approach that I'm using, but I also want to tell you that when we do start going through the text and, and really working through and hi highlighting things, we're going to make reference to, to how these different approaches would understand the, the book. So, you know, these these understand these these different approaches are I think are, are very interesting. And as we go through the book and, and understand, you know, and, and really to find out what framework that we're going to, to find ourselves gravitating toward, uh, we need to understand how these different approaches uh, view specific texts. For instance, when we go through the, the seventh chapter, we're going to talk about how both the futurist and the idealist and the preterist understand it. I, I'm not saying that I'm going to be neutral and try to give you four views on Revelation or something like that, but I, I want you to really come to your own understanding. And, and if it differs with mine here, that's that's okay. You just need to make sure that it's 
not because you led read left behind and not because you've just been exposed to all that stuff, but because you're convinced by the, the text, right? So what we're talking about here is really a third tier issue. People within the same church can disagree and not break fellowship. Really, it's a it's an iron sharpens iron conversation that, that takes place in the life of the church. It isn't, we're not saying it isn't important. It is important. And I will say that I'm not really a, a fan of of dispensationalism. I think it's in. I think it's important. I think it's um, an important issue, and you're going to see why when we talk more about it. I, I think the the perspective that we take here, though, is it, it it is important, but it's important that we don't break fellowship over it. I, I hope that I can illustrate that um, at some point. But thanks for for listening to the Exploring Revelation podcast. I, I do appreciate it. I'll say that if you have questions or comments at this point, I'd love to, to hear them, interact with them just um, with you uh, over email or, or whatever or on, on the podcast. If you have a question, um, email them to, to coldr at gmail.com. That's C-O-A-L-T-R at gmail.com. Um, I'm going to work on, a I think, a website here pretty soon that's dedicated to this podcast. So that will be fun. Maybe... Uh, next week, we'll have that up. But until then, uh, I'd love to to hear from you about how you're you're going about exploring Revelation.